Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. We only had one television in my house growing up. So, when my sisters and I wanted to watch a TV show, it was very easy for me to be outvoted. And if I wanted to watch TV, I kinda had to just go along for the ride. But my sisters sometimes made it fun for me. Maybe they were afraid I wouldn't get into it and would talk too much or would whine. Or maybe they were just good sisters and wanted me to enjoy the show. One of the things they had done during the TV show Love Boat was to find a way to make it special every time we watched it. And they did this through a fancy tropical drink. Now, I would not call it a fancy tropical drink nowadays, maybe now that I know what a fancy tropical drink might be. What a fancy tropical drink meant to us back then was the most interesting glass we could find, which was often a wine glass or one of those red lobster lighthouse glasses filled with ice, some sort of juice-like drink, and then finally anything we could garnish it with, which usually meant some sort of fruit and a repurposed little paper umbrella that we had gotten from a restaurant in town years before. I loved this and would get really into it, helping to prepare the drinks before we would sit down to watch the show. We eventually started pulling out this crushed ice maker that my family had bought years ago. You would put ice in there and it would make the most horrible racket, but it would spit out chunks of ice. And I would make ice all day long to prepare to fill our glasses. And then we would maybe put orange juice in there. More often, we'd put something like high C and then whatever fruit we had. If it was some grapes, we'd throw some grapes in there and then pop that umbrella in, put a crazy straw on the top, and then sit down in front of the television and watch a great TV show, Love Boat. It made me feel like I was on the Love Boat as well, something Isaac, the bartender, might have cooked up. Now, the funny thing is, eventually my sisters stopped watching the show. And eventually even the love boat went off the air, but it was still available in reruns. And I found that whenever I was going to watch the love boat, I still had this urge to make myself one of these fancy drinks, which my sisters found hilarious for years later, because it would be the middle of the afternoon in the summer, and instead of being out playing, I'd be parked in front of the couch, giant sweating glass in my hand, filled with ice, straw, little umbrella, chock full of Hawaiian punch. The very act of putting the drink together, it made the show, which I had seen many times before, probably those very episodes two or three times, almost seem new each time, or at least comforting enough that there was nothing else I'd rather watch, even if there was something new on another channel. I love ceremony and traditions around things, and if it's just something simple that you could add, you might not realize how much more special things will be for the people who you're doing it with, but it will. So. If you're trying to inspire some sort of nostalgia for something, if you're trying to make something a little bit more special, well then, make it a little bit more special, which is what my sisters did with The Love Boat. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about that great show, The Love Boat. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the cameras. We'll talk about the show's creation, the book it's based on, the boat itself, Metagirl's back with a top five list, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. 
The Love Boat is a romantic comedy with a little bit of drama that aired on the ABC television network from 1977 to 1986. After that, they would also do four specials that would air in 86, 87, and 90. The show is about a cruise ship, the MS Pacific Princess, and the various people who run the boat and the various guests who come aboard and more often than not find some sort of love. It was part of a very popular Saturday night lineup of TV at the time, which included its back-to-back run with a TV show called Fantasy Island, which is another great show that we loved. The show Love Boat wouldn't have come to pass without Geraldine Saunders, who was born Geraldine Loretta Glynn in 1923. She passed away in 2019. She was a writer and lecturer who's probably best known as the co-creator of the TV show Love Boat. While she would have many careers over time, her most famous work, the 1974 book The Love Boats, were her accounts as the first full-time female cruise director on a boat. Now, up until recently, I had never read the book, so I decided to check it out. And it is certainly interesting to read. You kind of get the vibe of The Love Boat, and you get a lot of insight into what was going on in the 70s on boats that people were traveling on. But it doesn't always portray the people who work on these boats in the best light or the passengers. Now, I'm not sure if that's in retrospect that I'm reading this now versus the 70s. It's hard for me to know. People in the 70s seem to love this book. It was a bestseller. But what's in there now is crazy and very unlike the more sanitized version of events that you would see in the TV show. This book and the love boat that would follow really helped the cruise industry. But I can't think that you would read this book and think, whoa, I got to run and take a cruise. I do think it was the TV show. The cruise business did take off. They say it might have gone up 3,000% after this book came out. I can't help but think that is largely because of the show. Now, you wouldn't have had a TV show without people producing it. And the people who produced The Love Boat were Aaron Spelling and Aaron Spelling Productions. This is very early, big Aaron Spelling work. His company would go on to produce shows like The Love Boat, Beverly Hills 90210, Dynasty, Melrose Place, Charmed. But this is not the only Spelling property. Spelling would, in another production company that ran at the same time, would produce shows like Starsky and Hutch, Charlie's Angels, and Fantasy Island. Spelling was very good at making very palatable television. And you don't get this many hit shows without a talent for recognizing the germ of an idea and being able to turn it into something that a large portion of America and the world would want to watch. you watch The Love Boat, you'll see that it looks like it's filmed on a cruise ship. And you're thinking they wouldn't film on an actual cruise ship, would they? That would be crazy. They did film on a cruise ship, not all the time. And it's pretty seamless overall. They would have shots that would be on the cruise ship. And I'm not just talking the insert shots showing the background, but you would see the cast interacting on a real ship. And then it would cut to a shot that was being done in a studio, and 
it's kind of difficult to tell unless you're very aware of what's going on. And when they were filming on the ship, they would use regular people in the background as extras. So you can kind of tell when it's the set versus the ship because when it's the ship, there's some variation in the extras. When it's the set, you start to see the same people over and over again. If you want to have a lot of fun rewatching Love Boat, so you haven't watched it in a while, just watch it for the scenes where there are people in the background. They're stretching, they're jogging, they're trying to blend in, but they're doing things that just seem really random. So much stretching on the Love Boat in the background. I have not been on a cruise ship before, but I can't imagine that this many people just sit around in their bathing suits stretching for hours at a time. Maybe they do. It's a very limber ship. The show was set on the Pacific Princess, and they would use that ship for shooting, and we'll talk a little bit about the ship later. They would also use the ship's sister vessel, the Island Princess, when there was a conflict of scheduling. They sometimes traveled to other locations, not the normal ports of call in the Love Boat, and the normal voyage for the Love Boat was a West Coast excursion starting in San Pedro in the LA area, and then moving down to Mexico, eventually to Acapulco, Puerto Vallarta, that sort of thing. Now, they wouldn't always film there. They would sometimes go through the Panama Canal or go up to Alaska or go to Europe. And when they did that, they would use a different ship and they would have a storyline that explained why they were doing that. Those were kind of fun episodes in completely different areas. While I love to talk about the cruise ships being the places they filmed, the show was filmed primarily on sets at 20th Century Fox Studios for the first five seasons and then Warner Hollywood Studios for the rest of the series. The plot of the show every week was very clever. They would create multiple vignettes for the show, so multiple stories that would be happening. So they would hire separate storyline writers to write specific ones, and then they would weave in and out of those stories throughout the episode. Sometimes a little bit of overlap, but not always. It wasn't exactly a pure comedy. It had some elements of drama, and those things made it rather unique at the time. What was also weird is that the show was one of the few hour-long series that used a laugh track, and I would guess that's because there is some drama and romance, and they wanted a cue for people to know when they were supposed to laugh again. If you're not familiar with laugh tracks or don't watch a lot of TV shows that have laugh tracks, it can be jarring the first time you watch Love Boat. And you hear laughter and you think, is someone laughing in this scene? No, it is a laugh track for a TV show. But it's not too distracting once you get used to it. The combination of drama and comedy with a little bit of 70s style romance was gold. And the show debuted very high on the Nielsen ratings right away. We'll talk about its reception a little bit later. Before the TV show, they made made-for-TV movies to test out the concept. The original was called aptly The Love Boat. And then they would do two more, The Love Boat 2 and The New Love Boat. These would all air before the series began in 1977. What was kind of fun about watching these and also makes them sort of optional is that the cast changes on these shows. Different captains, different crew members. This almost felt like auditions for the roles. And you can feel, especially if you've watched The Love Boat before, the pieces sort of falling into place until you finally get the cast that works really well together. And it really gets good once they figure out how to use the captain of the ship. Your captain, Meryl Steubing, as played by Gavin McLeod. Gavin McLeod 
was an actor, born in 31, passed away in 2021, probably best known for two roles, Murray Slaughter on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, where he was really good, and as Captain Steubing on The Love Boat. He would have a great career starting in the 50s, worked on some great TV shows, which I mentioned, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, as well as McHale's Navy. He had a great turn as a drug pusher named Big Chicken in two episodes of Hawaii Five-0. The first time I really rewatched Hawaii Five-0, I thought he was going to be a regular, but he does a great job. He's a kind of really good blend of sternness and likability. As the show goes on, he becomes more accessible, but the character never loses that sort of sharp edge of professionalism. And I think that's all McLeod's acting. He has a gravitas that says, this guy's a captain, even though he wears shorts all the time, which seems like a strange choice for a captain to wear shorts. But I guess if I had the option to wear shorts or not wear shorts while I'm on a cruise ship, I'm going to choose shorts. So the captain should have that right to say we're wearing shorts. Bernie Koppel played your ship's doctor, Adam Doc Bricker. Bernard Morton Koppel was born in 1933, played Siegfried on Get Smart from 1966 to 1969, but is probably best known as Doc Bricker on The Love Boat. He would continue to work, doing some work in TV and movies, but never really did anything that would eclipse his fame as Doc Bricker. He's an interesting character to watch, a bit of a scoundrel, if you ask me. He is unrelenting in his pursuit of women, often inappropriately at first. He sort of mellows out as the show moves on and doesn't hit on every woman who comes onto the ship. Now, the thing is, Koppel himself is pretty charismatic and fun to watch, so he gets away with a lot. And by the standards of the 70s, he's downright gentlemanly. Lauren Tweez played your cruise director, Julie McCoy. Cynthia Lauren Tweez was born in 1953, certainly best known as Julie McCoy. She would work on lots of other TV shows, though, at the time. Family, Charlie's Angels, Starsky and Hutch. A lot of great shows from that era. Now, a hundred actresses auditioned for the role of Julie McCoy, but she was cast the day before production began on the pilot, and she was very surprised. According to Tweez, I had to borrow money to get a new tire because my 62 Volkswagen Bug was not going to get to San Pedro. That first day, standing there in the little outfit, and I had to say, Hi, welcome aboard. I'm Julie McCoy, your cruise director, a gazillion times, but I kept screwing it up and saying, Hi, Welcome aboard. I'm Julie McLeod. Because I was talking to Gavin McLeod and was so excited. Tweez would really anchor a lot of the show. Now, it wasn't clear when the show started that she would become maybe the bigger star on the show. Certainly, as a ensemble member of the cast, maybe one of the brighter stars. But she pulled it off through her natural charisma. Now, as I said, she would work on TV shows before this and after that. Unfortunately, there was a darker turn because Tweez had developed uh, substance abuse problems. And in 84, after seven seasons on The Love Boat, she was replaced after a highly publicized battle with addiction. Eventually, she would overcome that and would reprise her role later on. But when she left, a lot of the heart of the show left. This ensemble was broken, and it was never the same after that. Fred Grandy played your Yeoman Purser, Burl Gopher Smith. He'd be Yeoman Purser for seasons one through six, and then Chief Purser through seven through nine. Now, I know what you're thinking. What is a ship's purser? I had to look this up myself, even though I guess I thought I knew. And yes, I sort of could figure it out from the show. A ship's purser is the person on board responsible for handling money and responsible for the administration and supplies. Frequently, stewards, cooks, 
all the people in those jobs on the ship answer to the purser. So Gopher had a really important job on the ship. It's amazing he had all these times for shenanigans. Gopher was played by Frederick Lawrence Grandy, who was born in 1948. He did a lot of work on TV shows, same as everybody else. He would also later go on to become a member of the United States House of Representatives from the state of Iowa. Another fun fact, I had a gopher poster on my wall when I was a young kid. I think my sister gave it to me from some magazine she had. Another favorite character of mine, Ted Lang as your bartender, Isaac Washington. He would play this role through all seasons and specials. Theodore William Lang III was born in 1948, best known for The Love Boat and for playing Junior in the TV show That's My Mama from 1974 to 1975. Talented actor, he continues to work to this day. Lang was an actor who made his Broadway debut in the musical Hair and was featured in the first national touring of that show. So a really good start to his career. He would continue to work after that, but is certainly best known as Isaac on the Love Boat by most people. Jill Whelan would play Vicki Steubing, the captain's daughter. Whelan was born in Oakland, California. Child actor who managed to keep her career going. She has a great turn in the film Airplane, where she really hams it up. It's probably where I, outside of Love Boat, remember her as well. Now, we have so many cast members. I'm not going to go too deep on the last two. Ted McGinley was brought on as the show went on to play your ship's photographer. Ted McGinley is famous for the guy you bring in to shows when they're sort of at the end of the show. I think that's not fair to him. I think he's brought in because they need a good actor and they're trying to keep a show going. But he was on Happy Days, Married with Children, Love Boat, many others. I will always remember him as Stan Gable in the film Revenge of the Nerds. When they got rid of Julie, they brought her sister aboard as the cruise director because that's how it works. If you are a cruise director and you get fired or have to leave, the role goes to your sibling. In this case, Patricia Klaus played Judy McCoy. You are invited to a party you will never forget. A fabulous Costa cruise. Fantastic food and fun. We'll fly you to San Juan, then cruise to the sunny Caribbean in South America for seven unforgettable days and nights. I'll never forget this. See your travel agent or write to Costa Line, the world's largest cruise fleet. Costa Cruises. It's an Italian festival. Now, the show had a great regular cast, but one of the things that made it really special was all of the guest stars who would be on this show. It is one of the most important legacies of this show is how many people from the golden and silver ages of Hollywood that would appear on this show, and even modern stars of the time who would somehow find their way onto the love boat, often repeatedly. Over the years, they would have over 550 guest stars, and the list is amazing. A who's who of Hollywood. People do not mention it like they might a more modern show that has more guest stars, say like The Simpsons. But I would argue that The Love Boat is more impressive. It had a lot less seasons. And you are seeing the actual actors, not just hearing their voices. You're seeing them perform. Some of these actors had gotten their starts in the 1920s in Hollywood. And here they are on The Love Boat in the 70s and 80s, still working. And maybe we're seeing some of their last performances. So if you are looking for a time capsule of actors pre-1980 and want to see as many as you can in a row, you just need to turn on The Love Boat. Now, there's a whole bunch of discussion about who appeared on The Love Boat the most. Marion Ross, who would play 
Mrs. Cunningham on Happy Days appeared, I think, most frequently. But she would also become a regular cast member later on in the show. So if you're looking at pure guest star, the person is probably Florence Henderson, who played Mrs. Brady on The Brady Bunch. But the show had lots of other great people, ones you wouldn't expect. People like Charo, whole groups of people like the Village People and the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders who made multiple appearances on the show. It is one of the great joys of tuning into the show is seeing the credit sequence start and seeing who are the guest people going to be and figuring out how many of these people can I identify and then being surprised at how good the people you don't even know are or once you actually see them start acting, go, oh, I remember them from something. As I had mentioned earlier, they brought in people toward the end of the series. They also brought in a troupe of dancers toward the end of the show, The Love Boat Mermaids who did choreographed performances every week for some reason. And there were eight Love Boat Mermaids, probably the most famous, the one that people would know best, would go on to have quite a career. Terry Hatcher played Amy, the Love Boat Mermaid. So what were the best episodes of Love Boat? Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five episodes of the romantic comedy drama TV series, The Love Boat. I'll be approaching this show a bit different than others I've covered. Episode titles of The Love Boat are expressed as long, hyphenated conglomerations of the three to four unique storylines represented in the broadcast. Rather than speak such a mouthful, I'll just tell you the season and episode number and then call out the individual story titles as I describe each plot included in the episode. Also, as you know from listening to this podcast, The Love Boat is renowned for featuring many guest stars. I'll be naming the most notable actors as I go, but not all of them. Otherwise, we'd be here for a long, long while. Okay, now on to the top five. At number five is season two, episode eight. In a time for everything, Captain Steubing meets Vicky for the first time, who will become an important player in future episodes. He also recalls his love for Vicky's deceased mother. In Accidental Cruise, Joanne Worley plays a secretary who gets drunk at an office party with her boss, played by Soupy Sales. When mistaken for another couple on the ship, the pair is accidentally assigned to the honeymoon suite. In The Song Has Ended, Charlie, played by Robert Goulet, is a former songwriter, now unhappily married and working as an ad man. Charlie and his wife June encounter his former songwriting partner, played by Richard Dawson, who uses music to help June see Charlie in a new light, helping to settle at least one family feud. In Anushka, Hot Lips Loretta Swit plays the Commissar of Soviet Union cruise vessels, who is invited by the U.S. State Department to sail aboard the Pacific Princess to observe procedures. The Commissar seeks Julie's help to become more slinky after she falls for Doc. Number four is Season 9, Episode 3. In Hidden Treasure, an ex-con played by Andy Griffith and his wife played by Cloris Leachman search for a rare stamp hidden somewhere on the ship by the man's former cellmate. In Picture from the Past, Marion Ross plays a woman trying to dodge Andy Warhol, yes, the real Andy Warhol, wanting to conceal her wild past in a Warhol movie from her conservative husband played by Tom Bosley. Of course, Ross and Bosley were familiar with this spousal dynamic from their years together on Happy Days. In Ace's Salary, Jill and Vicky argue over the fact that Ace makes more money than they do, and then Ace leads the charge on pay raises for the crew. Number three is season two, episode 26. 
In April's Return, one-time stowaway April Lopez, played by Coochie Coochie Gal Charo, returns to the ship as a popular singer. However, having grown weary of the hassles of stardom, she decides to try her hand at cruise directing with Julie's help, but achieves little success in the role. In Supermom, a couple takes a second honeymoon with their four unruly children in tow. How romantic! Jerry Stiller plays the husband who feels neglected by his wife, played by his real-life wife, Anne Mira, as she wrangles the kids. In I'll See You Again, an old war buddy of Captain Steubing's comes aboard and is surprised to see the former USO star, played by Sid Charisse, with whom he had once had a romance. A misunderstanding had led each to believe that the other was to blame for ending their affair. At number two is season three, episode 28. A lot happens in this special 90-minute episode. In No Girls for Doc, Gopher and Isaac challenge Doc to a bet after he swears off women. In The Witness, Larry Wilcox plays a district attorney who falls for a young woman, played by Katherine Bach, who is in his protective custody as a witness in a burglary case. In The Caller, a woman is plagued by weird phone calls from a mysterious stranger, played by Martin Short. In Marriage of Convenience, a widow, played by Helen Hayes, the first lady of the American theater, considers a marriage of convenience to her friend's brother, played by Dr. Zayas, oh, I mean Maurice Evans, in order to allow her overly protective nephew, played by Hayes' real-life son, Bookham Dano actor James MacArthur, the freedom to start a relationship. And the number one episode of The Love Boat is Season 2, Episode 9. In Till Death Do Us Part, Maybe, a well-intentioned ghost, played by Jimmy Walker, is husband-hunting for his widow, played by Vernay Johnson, and spots an attractive candidate portrayed by Greg Morris. However, his successful matchmaking beyond the grave leads to feelings of jealousy. In Chubbs, Melissa Sue Anderson plays Gopher's sister, who is remembered by the crew as a chubby youngster, but she reappears on the ship as an attractive and sophisticated young woman who is interested in Doc. In Locked Away, a long-divorced couple, played by Conrad Bain and Janet Lee, are seeing off their daughter, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, Lee's real-life daughter, and her husband when they are accidentally locked away in a stateroom together. And there you have it, the Retroist's top five episodes of the best floating romance on TV, The Love Boat. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. Now, I said I would talk about the boat. The MS Pacific was the love boat. It was known as the Sea Venture from 1971 to 1975, and then the Pacific Princess from 1975 to 2002, and finally the Pacific from 2002 to 2013. It was operated by a Brazilian-based company and was built for flagship cruises in 1971. Eventually, the Pacific would move to Europe and... Slowly, the boat started to fall apart, and the boat was dismantled on August 10th, 2013. So the original Pacific Princess is no more. Now, I've never been on a cruise ship before, but I live near a place where there are a lot of cruise ships that come in, and whenever they come in, I'm always flabbergasted by the immensity of them. And so it made me wonder, how big was the love boat itself compared to a modern cruise ship? Because the cruise ship I see on TV just doesn't look the same as the ones I see now. And that's true because the love boat is a lot smaller than a modern cruise ship and has a lot less passengers than a modern cruise ship. The love boat was a 20.6 ton boat. It had eight decks and it could have 
750 passengers, and 350 crew members. It was 550 feet long and 80 feet wide. A more modern cruise ship, and I just chose one at random, say like the Disney Dream, which I had heard of, is over 1,100 feet long and 121 feet wide. It has 16 decks, 14 for passengers, and it is 129.6 tons. It's capable of 4,000 passengers and 1,458 crew members. So these modern cruise ships are significantly larger than the Pacific Princess explains a lot why I will watch the old love boat and the swimming pools seem so tiny. They look like bathtubs and especially the ones that are on the set and not on the actual boat. They're very tiny and you get to see people kind of splashing around in them and try to do laps and you do one stroke, two stroke, you hit the other side and then they turn around one stroke, two stroke back. Not very big. One thing I've noticed when I see the cruise ships depart near me now is they do not throw confetti as people depart. That was always kind of a dream I had. I would be there and throwing confetti. I'm not sure how long they did that for, but boy, does that seem wasteful. That's a lot of paper. And who are they getting on the other side who are watching people depart? Because usually there are people on both sides. Maybe people were nice and were dropping off their loved ones at the cruise terminal back in the day and loved to be covered in paper while they were driving home, reminded that they're not on the cruise ship. I guess I'm not shocked that they really don't do that. Does this sound familiar? That is the Love Boat theme song as sung by Jack Jones. That would be the singer of the Love Boat for most seasons till the final season when a cover version by Dionne Warwick was used. The lyrics were written by Paul Williams with music by Charles Fox. It would also be covered by other people. Most famously, a frequent guest of the show Charo, who sings it on the show in a really great episode. That music would be used over the opening sequence, which would change over the years. The Love Boat did really well right from the start. In its first seven seasons, it ranked among the top 20 and even the top 10. Its highest ranking was in the 1980-1981 season, where it was ranked number five in the Nielsen ratings. But by the 84-85 season, the ratings were starting to drop. And sadly, at the end of that following year, the show was canceled after nine years on ABC. As I mentioned, they would do specials that would air in other seasons. But for people like me, it didn't end because they were already starting to air Love Boat reruns on ABC Daytime at this point. And if you were home from school sick and you were normally watching game shows, falling asleep to those, and then you'd flip the channel and Love Boat was on, well, it's going to be a pretty good hour that morning. So what else was on when the Love Boat premiered in 1977? Well, I have a guide here from New Jersey at that time where I was. And so let's take a look at what's going on here on Saturday, September 24th, 1977. Now, the show wouldn't start until 10 o'clock, but let's look what was going on in all through primetime. At 8 o'clock on CBS, you had the season premiere Bob Newhart. On NBC, you had the Bionic Woman, which is Fembots in Las Vegas. That's pretty good. And this is part one of two. Then on ABC, you had Fish, 
the episode Retirement Blues on Channel 11, which is WPIX, common to show movies. They were showing Horror of the Black Museum from 1959. Then at 8.30, you would have The Jeffersons on CBS, which was also the season premiere, which was called The Grand Opening. And here's the description. George's outlandish boasting of how well he is doing heads him for disaster when the underworld gets into the act. That sounds good. Channel 5, which would eventually become Fox, was showing the 1946 Basil Rathbone film Dressed to Kill. Channel 7, ABC, was showing Operation Petticoat, which was a part two of two. At 9 o'clock on NBC, they were showing a movie, Hard Times, with Charles Bronson and James Coburn. ABC was showing Starsky and Hutch. I love that they have a call-out, Hutch stalked by girl psycho, with two exclamation points. The episode was called Fatal Charms. 9.30, you had the Tony Randall show premiering on CBS. It looks like they were showing Hee Haw on WPIX then. And finally, we get to 10 o'clock and you have the Carol Burnett show on CBS. That's hard competition, especially in my family's house. And the guest was Jim Neighbors. Golly. Channel 5 was showing the news. And then we have the Love Boat premiering. And not a lot of info actually here on Love Boat. It just says Gavin McLeod stars. At 10.30, mostly news on other channels, and that's what happens the rest of the night. Although, at 11.30, it's Saturday, so season premiere of Saturday Night Live with host Steve Martin and musical guest Jackson Brown. So a great night of television. Tonight, the Love Boat sets sail at a special time at 8, 7 Central and Mountain on a glittering laugh-pack two-hour all-star cruise. Then an excursion into stock terror on Fantasy Island, both tonight, here on ABC. Now, as I mentioned, they would start to show Love Boat on TV as early as 1981. That was not the syndication package. The syndication package would start in 1983 with World Vision Enterprises handling the distribution. They would offer two versions of the Love Boat, an edited 30-minute episode, and then the original hour-long programming. What a ripoff it would be to catch a 30-minute version of the Love Boat. There was a great crossover of the Love Boat with another Aaron Spelling series, it was with Charlie's Angels. This is the one where they introduced Shelley Hack as the new angel Tiffany Wells, and it was titled Love Boat Angels. In it, the angels attempt to recover stolen museum artifacts while on the Pacific Princess as it cruised the Virgin Islands. Other than that, they really kept the show kind of pure, no weird attempts at backdoor pilots or anything like that that are detectable. What's surprising is that there hasn't been that many attempts at rebooting the Love Boat, but they did do a sequel, Love Boat The Next Wave, aired on UPN from 98 to 99, with Robert Urich as Captain Jim Kennedy, Phil Morris as Chief Purser Will Sanders, and Heidi Mark as your cruise director, Nicole Jordan. They actually had members of the original cast show up on the show, and those are worth tracking down. It has a very 90s vibe to it, so if you are watching this new version and you're expecting something similar to the original Love Boat, it's not going to really work for you. But still, interesting to watch and very easy to get since most of the episodes get posted online. As for a real reboot, you hear rumblings of something, but nothing solid ever seems to pop up for long. It seems like a bit of a layup. Although, having watched the 90s version recently, and thinking about what they would do nowadays, they'd probably take it in a direction that would be either too dark or very serious, as opposed to the lightness that is... The Love Boat. So I'm in no rush. I have the original Love Boat. I'll continue watching that. 
Since the show was successful and was on for so long, you might not be surprised to know that they eventually would release some toys based on it. Mego released six three and three quarter inch figures, as well as a giant cruise ship playset. If you are looking for a checklist, here's what you need Captain Steubing, Doc Bricker, Gopher, Isaac, Julie, Vicky, and the playset. Collect them all. You could also find a board game, and then they would make these pegged supermarket toys with Love Boat branding. When you were walking down the supermarket and you occasionally see these pegs sticking out with random things like sponges that look like dinosaurs, you would also find things like a badge with Magnum PI's photo on it or a stethoscope that has the Love Boat written on it. They would have those toys in supermarkets. It took way too long to get the Love Boat on DVD. It started way back in 2008, which was late in my book, and they continued releasing them up until 2018. It's still weird to me that they haven't released a complete series box set, but here we are decades later, and we still don't. Maybe we'll jump right past the DVDs and go straight to Blu-ray as a release. That doesn't mean you can't see all the episodes. They have been on streaming services and also on retro TV channels that show them in syndication still. The Love Boat has a solid legacy. If you just take into account the increase to the cruise industry that accredited to the book and the show, and this large cruise industry we have today, and its dramatic expansion in the 80s can probably be traced back to the glamour that was the Love Boat. The original Love Boat is in worldwide syndication. It has been translated into 29 different languages and viewed by millions of people in 93 countries. Gavin McLeod in a press release talking about the show, summed it up well by saying, People always ask us why the love boat was so popular. And I always say it's because it gave people something to dream about. They could dream about being out on the open seas on a cruise and discovering the world's greatest destinations, dreaming about love and, of course, happy endings since the show always ended on a high note. I'm proud to have played a role in the growth of the cruise industry. So if you're in the doldrums, Looking for an escape, maybe you can't afford a cruise or even a vacation, why not find an episode of The Love Boat, head to your kitchen, pour yourself a fancy drink, sit back, and for a little under an hour, escape. Escape to where ports of call are dramatic, safe, and exotic, and love is everywhere. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. If you like what you hear, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitch and Twitter. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top 5 list. If you like what you hear, you should follow Metagirl on Twitter. She's at twitter.com slash metagirl. That's M-E-T-A-G-R-R-L. Thanks to Christopher Tupa for the art you see on this show. If you like what you see, you should pop by Christopher Tupa's website. He's at ctupa.com. That's C-T-U-P-A.com. You can also follow him on Twitter. He's at Tupa01. That's T-U-P-A-01. If you would like to support the show, you can start by giving the show a positive review over on Apple or wherever you download this show. Five-star reviews really help people find the show, and I would really appreciate it. If you would like to support the show more, you can drop by Patreon. I'm at patreon.com slash retroist. Patrons of the show receive bonus episodes, member-only episodes, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Thanks to everyone for their support and for listening to the show. I hope you have a great weekend.
I learned you do not want to put a knife into an ice crusher that is stuck. Or if you do, make sure you unplug it. Very important. This has been a retrospection. Goodbye.